0: We had gotten so complacent with very low yields for so long that it didn't really matter where you held your fixed income assets. But this idea of asset location, if you have higher yielding assets, where you have
1: them, where you hold them matters. There are significant ramifications. Morningstar's personal finance guru explains what they are on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track.
0: Funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Baird, Bill Miller, Research Affiliates, Strategus Asset Management, Women Investing in Security and Education, and Matthews Asia.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. 2023 was a momentous year on many fronts, but for investors and retirees in particular, one of the most significant changes was in interest rates. After more than a decade of lowering interest rates to historically low levels, the Federal Reserve continued its dramatic course reversal. Starting in March of 2022, the nation's central bank rapidly raised its key short term federal funds rate from near zero to a range of five and a quarter to five and a half percent by the middle of last year, where they stand today. Suddenly, yields on cash are attractive again, and bond yields are giving stocks a run for their money. Morningstar's personal finance guru, Christine Benz, says this stunning rise in yields has major ramifications for retirement planning. What they are is the focus of part one of our two-part interview with her. As WealthTrack viewers know, Benz is the longtime director of personal finance and retirement planning at Morningstar, where she is known for her prodigious high-quality output, including writing daily personal finance columns co-hosting the Longview podcast, featuring in-depth interviews with financial thought leaders, and somehow has found time to write several books, including 30-Minute Money Solutions, a step-by-step guide to managing your finances, and the Morningstar Guide to Mutual Funds, Five Star Strategies for Success. She has a fascinating new one in the works about how to retire, which we will discuss on WealthTrack.com. Case in point, her suggestion to me that we discuss the implications that higher interest rates have for retirement portfolios and plans. We started with their impact on future investment returns. Well, they make everything easier
0: from the standpoint of investment returns, um, but the implications for fixed income returns are especially direct. When yields go up, you are a beneficiary as a bond investor because the biggest share of your return as a bond investor is that income stream that is coming from, from your bond portfolio. Capital appreciation is a much smaller share of the return you, you earn. So when we see yields as high as they are today, that suggests that returns over, say, the next decade will be higher, too. So it's definitely a a positive from the standpoint of fixed income returns. There is a little bit of a short term dislocation though, as we saw in 2022 when yields shot up abruptly, if you're a bond holder that reduces the prices of of the bonds that you hold. And so there is a price dislocation, but over time those higher yields should translate into higher total returns for bond investors and cash investors.
1: What do you tell uh, your, you know, investors and the people who rely on you for so much personal finance advice of kind of how to deal with a, with a devastating year like that for bond investors. People who own
0: long term treasuries lost like a third of their bonds value in 2022. They regained a little bit of ground last year, but they're certainly not whole since 2022. People who own intermediate term bonds, uh, higher quality bonds probably lost in the neighborhood of 12 or 13% in 2022. They have not recouped all of that either. But Mm -hmm. in general, I think investors, when they're thinking about their fixed income portfolios, they probably do want to focus more on shorter and intermediate term bonds, even though long term bonds are kind of your best ballast in some sort of a stock market shock. Their volatility, which we saw on display in a year like 2022, is just makes them not very bond-like in terms of their behavior. So I would stay high quality and stick with, with short and intermediate term bonds.
1: Higher interest rates also make bonds less risky. Can you explain how that works? When you have that higher
0: yield, it it provides a little bit of a cushion. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, we see yields go back up again in 2024, you'd at least be starting with that higher yield, which can help offset any principal losses you have. So if the bond loses in value, you at least have that higher yield to serve as a cushion.
1: And and Morningstar, uh, speaking of you know higher yields and uh, better returns, is Morningstar has basically increased their estimated returns for retirement. As far as your expected investment returns, it it's really has made a significant difference long term, right?
0: It has. So when we conduct our retirement income research where we look at safe withdrawal rates, we use a 30-year time horizon. Mm -hmm. So assuming like someone at age 65 would live to approximately age 95. So we use that 30-year time horizon. When we embed the forecasts from our investment management team, we do see a big jump up over that 30-year time horizon, largely because of those higher yields that have come online over the past year and a half.
1: So, talk about the uh, with the withdrawal rates. What how Morningstar has uh, recalibrated those based on these higher yields.
0: Right. We've been running this research since 2022. And the basic idea is to give some guidance to people who are just embarking on retirement. One of the big questions is, well, how much can I reasonably take out of my portfolio at that beginning part of retirement Mm -hmm. and then on down the line? And so when we started this research back in 2021, we came up with a 3.3 percent starting safe withdrawal rate for that 30 year time horizon, which is really low. Everyone's heard about the 4% guideline, but the big reason was that yields were really low back at that time, and equity valuations were on the high side. Mm -hmm. When we did the research most recently, so relying on data as of the end of September 2023, we came up with a higher number. Um, 4% was actually our guidance for people embarking on retirement today because of those higher fixed income yields. Equity returns have moderated a little bit, so valuations aren't quite as scary as they were a couple years ago. So those two things do contribute to our higher starting safe withdrawal amount for new
1: retirees. One of the biggest surprises that I saw in the research that that you sent me uh, was that that the equity allocation that, that you are saying is sufficient can you tell us about, you know, kind of what your new possible guidelines are and, and why we need less exposure to equities than, than most of us thought we would? our research points to the highest safe withdrawal rate corresponding to a portfolio
0: with with between 20 and 40% in stocks, which is much lower than most people have. Honestly, much lower than I intend to have in my retirement portfolio. And the key reason is that the assumption that we make about how the retiree is withdrawing from his or her portfolio very much tilts our computers toward wanting the safe returns that come along with a heavier fixed income allocation. Mm -hmm. So we're assuming that someone wants kind of a paycheck equivalent throughout retirement. So if I have a million-dollar portfolio and I'm taking a 4% initial withdrawal, that's $40,000. I'm just inflation-adjusting that dollar amount thereafter. So it's assuming that the retiree is sort of not willing to waver at all in terms of his or her portfolio cash flows, that they want to just kind of lock down that stream of income. So when we use that as our base case. Our simulations say, give us more fixed income because we want the security that comes along with having more bond allocation. But the trade-off is that uh, you have less of an opportunity to grow your portfolio. So if it's a retiree who's willing to be flexible about withdrawals, um, you know, is willing to say, take less in 2022 in exchange for potentially taking more down the line, that retiree could probably tolerate and should take a higher stock weighting in his mm-hmm. or her portfolio. So there are some trade-offs in play. We assume a very
1: conservative sort of spending scenario, and, and of course, fixed income. Unless you're you're with inflation protected, fixed income really doesn't protect you from inflation. So that's an issue as well. We do
0: model in inflation adjustments when we do our simulations. So we're assuming that someone does get to take an inflation adjustment in the 2023 research, we assumed I think a 2.8% rate of inflation over that 30 year horizon. But you're right, Consuelo, if if inflation runs a lot hotter than that during that Mm -hmm. period, that would be uh, potentially a, a big negative for the person with too much in nominal, bonds I do think that most retirees who have fixed income holdings in their portfolio should have pretty decent sized allocation to treasury inflation protected securities that okay. give you a bit of a hedge against inflation and help make you whole with um,
1: a- along with rising prices. For uh, in- individuals who want to have a higher uh, equity uh, allocation to stocks, but also, are more conservative.
0: Well, I think balance then would be Mm -hmm. a a sensible way to go. So I had mentioned that our simulation likes kind of that 20 to 40% equity weighting, but if you're someone who is, willing to do some belt tightening in a period of market weakness. If you're someone who has a bequest in mind for children, grandchildren, charity, you may want to tilt a little bit more heavily toward equities. Just understand that there will be implications in terms of that portfolio's volatility and potentially in terms of year-to-year spending. And another thing we know is that Retirees usually do, do a little bit of course correction in their spending over their retirement. That spending isn't a straight line for most of us. We have roofs to repair and um, you know might have fun vacations that we wanna mm-hmm. spend more on, and then we, we may have years where we spend less. So it's not a straight line for most retirees. And another thing we know is that retirees, when we look at the data, do t- tend to spend a little less as the years go by. So mm-hmm. as people move into their late 70s, early 80s, 80s, spending tends to trend down a little bit, and sometimes it trends up at very late in life. But that pattern would argue for being able to take a little bit more than the guidance that I've just talked about. If, if you're comfortable with that assumption that you may have to spend a little bit less as you move on into the later years of, of your retirement, that means that you can take more in the early years of your retirement and really maximize
1: those healthy, kind of pent up demand years right after you've retired. As far as an asset allocation decision, should investors really be seriously looking at fixed income again as a, you know, as a real long-term asset class that is going to do the things that it was supposed to do, which is give us higher income and also some stability in our portfolios? Is that something that bonds uh, will do again? I I hope so, every year I
0: compile these capital markets forecasts from various firms, Morningstar and JP Morgan and Schwab and and other firms that put these out. And one thing that jumped out at me is when I looked at these 10-year capital markets assumptions, the U.S. equity returns are fairly closely aligned with the expectation for fixed income returns. Huh. Um, so I think realistically, when you think about the next decade, you may have a period where stocks perform, you know, maybe in line with bonds and with a lot more volatility. So. I think it's something to bear in mind. I'm a big fan, as you know, Consuelo, of this kind of bucket approach to retirement, you know, where you're kind of thinking about your anticipated spending from your portfolio and using that to drive what asset allocation you use. And so I like the idea of kind of building yourself a runway of, say, 10 years of portfolio withdrawals in safer assets. So maybe Mm -hmm. two years in cash securities, two years worth of portfolio withdrawals, and then another, say, five to eight in a high-quality fixed income portfolio. And for the person who has a lot of non-portfolio income sources, so like the, the rare person with a pension who's retiring with a pension today, that person is maybe just taking little sips from his or her portfolio. That mm-hmm. would argue for a much heavier equity allocation because the demands on the portfolio are pretty light. Right. But if it's someone who's taking more like a 4% portfolio withdrawal. If we're thinking about a 10-year allocation uh, where where they've got like 10 years worth of portfolio withdrawals, that's like 40% of a portfolio with the other 60% in equities. So I like the idea of really
1: customizing this based on your own anticipated portfolio spending. There are are other non-market retirement options like annuities, right, that are now much more attractive than they were just a year or two ago. Absolutely,
0: when we look at the uh, payouts that you can earn from annuities, they're very much plugged into whatever is going on in interest rates, because when you think about um, how it works with, with an annuity contract, you're giving your money to an insurer, they're gonna send it back to you as a stream of income, but in the meantime, they have to invest it in something. Mm-hmm. And if yields are very, very low, that means that the any return that they can promise you will be correspondingly low. So when yields go up, that's a benefit for Annuity purchasers. I looked at um, someone purchasing um, a male purchasing a, an annuity back in 2022, in early 2022, 70-year-old male, $100,000 in, in a just a plain vanilla single premium immediate mm-hmm. annuity that would have paid out $600 a month for the rest of his life. When we look at that today, we're a little closer to $750. A month. So, a very nice bump up for people um, looking at annuity products. In reality, retirees don't love annuities. We see sales still being pretty sluggish there, but I think there is some benefit for people who want to lock down a stream of income uh, for for their lifetimes, which is what you get with an annuity.
1: Right. What's the view at Morningstar? What's your view uh, about annuities? I know that they're now being offered in some. 401k plans, for instance. My
0: view is that they're underutilized by a lot of mm-hmm. retirees. Job one, when you are embarking on retirement, is to line up however much non-portfolio income source sources that you can come by. So you want to maximize Social Security first and foremost, and think about potentially an annuity if Social Security doesn't cut it in terms of meeting your Basic household living expenses, mm-hmm. you could look to an annuity to potentially top up whatever you're expecting to get from Social Security. So I think that they can be really pretty additive to retirees who do not have pensions. The big risk factor, though, is one that we've touched on already, which is inflation. That you right. cannot buy an annuity that is linked to the consumer price index. So if you have a year of very high inflation, you are not going to be able. Able to be made whole during a period mm-hmm. like that so that's that's a risk factor and then of course the financial strength of the insurance company which you alluded to Consuelo I think is another something something that you need to check out before you purchase an annuity you just need to be very comfortable with the insurers financial health
1: higher uh, yields also can help people with long-term care insurance how does that work This has been such a troubled marketplace Mm -hmm. where
0: um, insurance companies have been hit by the the same thing that the annuity issuers have been hit by, where they're stuck having to find a place to invest these premiums that they have on these long-term care policies, and low interest rates have been a headwind from that standpoint, and there are regulations around what... the the premiums can be invested in and so forth. So higher yields are a gift to insurers from that standpoint, but it's still a super troubled marketplace. We're seeing a lot of companies drop out of this business of offering pure long-term care insurance. It tends to be that if people have long-term care insurance, they hang on even if you increase their premiums, which many uh, people who have purchased this insurance have experienced. So there are still some headwinds in this market, but potentially uh, premiums may stabilize a little bit with higher yields coming online, which is good news because people have been really battered. You know, They thought they were doing all the right things in terms of purchasing these policies mm-hmm. and they've just had to put up with one premium increase after another.
1: We've talked about all the benefits of higher yields, but, but what are some of the key risks to higher yields?
0: Well, one is just that they may not be here forever. Yep. <laughs> that um, you know, uh, yields could decline, which is an argument against having too much of your money staked in cash instruments. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot to love about the five percent CD or the four and a half percent CD on offer today but those yields may be ephemeral, that we may mm-hmm. have a period not in the not too distant future where yields decline again. So that's an issue. Inflation, which we've talked about, um, will tend to erode the benefit of higher fixed income yields. So I think that's a, a strong argument for looking at some inflation protected bonds if you hold bonds as a portion of your portfolio maybe thinking about like 25 or 30% of that fixed income portfolio going into inflation protected bonds
1: and taxes well
0: yes thank you for reminding me <laughs>
1: We had gotten so
0: complacent with very low yields for for so long that it didn't really matter where you held your fixed income assets. But this idea of asset location, if you have higher yielding assets, where you have them, where you hold them matters. So if you have tax-sheltered accounts, if you have tax-deferred IRAs or Roth IRAs, and they're kicking off the securities in them are kicking off a lot of income, hold them in those tax-sheltered accounts where you're Mm -hmm. not paying uh, full ordinary income tax on those distributions. Super important point, Consuelo. Hello, munis, as well. (laughs) Well, exactly. Take advantage of the higher yields uh, tax-free. Exactly. And some companies, um, some investment providers have these tax equivalent yield calculators that are really Mm -hmm. handy where you can plug in your own tax rate, look at the munis yield relative to the taxable bonds yield and see where you're better off based on your own state tax as well as your federal income tax bracket. So some customization is in order there, but definitely
1: higher income folks should be taking a look at munis. And Christine, uh, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio to take advantage of these higher yields, what would you recommend we all own some of?
0: So we talked about how fixed income holders had a rude awakening in 2022, where we saw yields shoot up very abruptly. And I think it did point to some of the deficiencies in bond funds, Mm -hmm. which normally I like funds so much for the diversification that you get and the simplicity and the professional management. But I've really warmed up to the idea of these defined maturity bond funds that Hmm. hold a basket of bonds that mature on a specific date. Um, And one category that I would call out here would be the iShares, iBond term uh, tips ETFs. So you can buy them in um, increments where they mature year by year. So you can kind of build yourself a laddered portfolio of tips bonds with each fund scheduled to mature on a given date, usually December of a given calendar year. So it takes some of the complexities, uh, uh, you know, of building a bond ladder out of the picture. It makes it a little simpler where you could say, okay, I know that in December 2025, I'm going to want to take out this much from my portfolio. I think these defined maturity tips ETFs really simplify that and do so for a pretty reasonable fee.
1: So just to make sure I understand that. So if it's a defined maturity, does the entire ETF mature and then you basically you get your money back and then you give it, you know, give it to a, the defined maturity ETF that is going to mature like in another five years? I mean, how does that work?
0: Right, exactly. The The ETF uh, holds bonds that all mature on that given date, so you'd get your money, and you could use it for spending. So it seems like it could be really attractive in retirement if you're trying to kind of line up your cash flows from your portfolio, it seems like an elegant solution, and does take some of the messiness out of uh, building a portfolio of individual bonds. You don't have to monkey with all those individual bonds.
1: What a great idea! And and I'm looking if it's an iShares iBonds, you know, Term Tips ETF. Then I'm assuming that the fees are low. Is that right?
0: They are, I think they're just about 10 or 11 basis points on okay. these funds as, as they should be because putting yes. together these portfolios isn't rocket science. So um, the fees are nice and low, which makes them easy to recommend as
1: well. What a great idea for 2024. Christine Ben's always a delight to have you. So thanks so much for joining us on Wealth Track. Consuelo, it's always my pleasure. Thank you so much. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's Action Point is another way to take advantage of higher interest rates. It is consider adding a basic fixed immediate annuity to your retirement plan. Fixed immediate annuities pay a set amount of income per month for life. Because interest rates are higher, they are now offering higher payments than they have in years, in many cases more than you could get on a treasury bond. Unlike bonds, they don't mature, don't fluctuate in price, and don't have to be managed. And the insurance company assumes the risk that you will get more income than you put in. The downsides are you have to give a lump sum to an insurance company to buy one. There are onerous penalties if you want to liquidate them. And of course, you might die before the income you receive exceeds your investment. In order to minimize that risk, it's best to buy immediate annuities when you are healthy and just starting retirement, so you have lots of runway left to collect. You can also add a cash refund rider, which stipulates that unspent capital will be passed on to beneficiaries if the annuitant dies before a specific date. And an essential component is to invest with an established and highly rated insurance company that will be there to meet its long-term obligations. Many annuities have gotten a bum rap for being complicated and expensive over the years, but the simpler, lower-cost fixed-immediate annuities can provide a secure income stream for life. Next week, we tackle how to streamline or declutter your portfolios with Christine Benz in Part 2 of our Retirement Planning Series. In this week's Extra Feature, Benz shares some highlights from her upcoming book on How to Retire, In the meantime, feel free to follow us on Facebook and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable and productive one.